Matthew chapter 26 is our text this morning. I would encourage you to find your way there if you haven't already. Matthew chapter 26. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 46. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 46. And if you found your way there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. Again, Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he said to the disciples, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And you can be seated this morning. This is considered perhaps one of the most emotional and compelling portions of Scripture inside of the entirety of the Bible. Uh, it is an account that all three of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, include in their story and the rendition of telling uh, their encounters with Jesus in those last moments of His life. In fact, Spurgeon said of this passage, he says, Here we come to the holy of holies of our Lord's life on earth. This is a mystery like that which Moses saw when the bush burned with fire and was consumed. No man can rightly expound such a passage as this. It is a subject for prayerful, heartbroken meditation more than for human language. End quote. Basically, what Spurgeon is saying there is like it's almost impossible to come to this text and do it diligent to, to expound it and to talk about it because there are certain aspects of what's happening inside of this passage that are far above our emotional ability to understand. That we can't grasp the, the understanding of, of what Jesus is walking through in this moment. And so as I looked at this text this week, and I've been studying, and I shared with Pastor West this morning that there's so many different things that you could, so many different directions you could go in this passage of Scripture. But I thought about where we are at a church at this time, and I thought what I want to do this morning is I want to take this passage of Scripture, and I want us to open it up, and I want us to see these practical principles of prayer that Jesus gives to us as He Himself prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. So some practical principles of prayer. Now, I don't think, in fact I know, that we could find no better teacher on how to pray than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And I think all of us would admit that our prayer life, no matter how great that we think it is, becomes even more impassioned and even better in moments of trial and temptation. Now, perhaps it shouldn't be that way. 
we should be committed to our prayers at all times. But we know how it is. We know when those times of temptation and trial and tribulation come, we tend to grasp even harder into that arena of prayer. Now, but we know for Jesus, Jesus was the perfect, sinless Son of God. Jesus lived His life upon this earth. And so as Jesus prayed, Jesus had the perfect prayer life. His was not a prayer life fraught with with ups and downs, and sometimes he prayed and sometimes he didn't. So when we come to how to understand what should the Christian's prayer life look like, it's very clear that Jesus gives us such a clear example. Now, let's put ourselves into the moment of where our setting is. They are inside of the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, This is an olive grove just outside the city of Jerusalem. It was a place that Jesus often came to pray. Uh, Most commentators believe that this was perhaps owned by uh, a friend of Jesus, somebody that they knew. It was a place that he went on a regular basis because this was how Judas knew when he betrayed Jesus, how he knew where Jesus was going to be that night. It was a prayer that Jesus often went to pray. So Judas knew if Jesus had left the upper room, if he's going to pray, I know exactly where he's going to be. So when he turned him over to the scribes and the Pharisees for those 30 pieces of silver, he said, you can find him here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's exactly where Jesus was. It was a place that he was accustomed to praying. So the first thing that I want you to notice in this text this morning is the necessity of prayer. The necessity of prayer. Jesus says that he came with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now in this passage, we're going to see pictured perhaps more vividly than any other place in the Bible, uh, the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus is demonstrated here in many different ways. Throughout the Bible, we're taught that Jesus experienced all the things that we experience as human beings because He was. He was God in the flesh. Jesus experienced the emotions of this world. He experienced what it was like to be hungry. He experienced what it was like to laugh. He experienced what it was like to be sorrowful and to cry. Jesus experienced what it was like to be tired and to fall asleep. But here in this passage, we begin to see Jesus experience such great and tremendous emotions, unlike any other place in the Scripture. And through His humanity, we see His dependence upon the Lord in times of difficulty. That if Jesus was a man who was God in the flesh, and yet still needed to go to God the Father in prayer, how much more so do you and I need to go to God the Father in prayer? Jesus saw this. He knew this. He needed this communion with the Father. He needed this relationship with God because we know that God speaks to us through His Word, but it's in those times of prayer that we can cry out to God and God hears our voice. He hears the cries of our heart. And sometimes I think it's very easy for us to overlook exactly how powerful of a thing that is. If we go back and we understand that in the Old Testament, If we were gathered in a church service, we we did not have the ability to go directly to God. The Jewish people, they had to go to the priest, and the priest on their behalf would then take their request to God. But glory be to God, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying that now we have direct access to God the Father, so that no matter where you are, whether you're sitting in the pew at Barberville, or whether you're halfway around the world in the middle of a desert somewhere, all you have to do is cry out to God, and God hears your voice. It's the power of prayer. It's, nece- it's a necessity for the Christian life. 
Not only was it demonstrated through Jesus' life, but then the Apostle Paul repeatedly in his letters would write to the churches. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. The idea means to live in a continual attitude of prayer. It doesn't mean that you're always walking around mumbling a prayer under your voice, but that you're always living in this attitude of prayer. He writes again to the church at Ephesus. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. As brothers and sisters, you see, in all moments and facets of life, we should be people of prayer. When something happens to us, when a difficult situation comes along, when a trial happens, when something unexpected comes into our purview, the first thing that we should do is to flee to God in prayer. But oftentimes that's not what we do. Oftentimes when something happens, we say, well, how am I going to solve this problem? Or we pick up the phone and we call somebody else and we say, hey, here's what just happened. What should I do about this? As I thought about that this week, I I thought really as a Christian life, if we really truly understand who God is and we truly understand the power of prayer, when anything happens in our life, the very first thing that we should do is go to God. Second, we should go to others and ask them to pray for us. But the third thing we should do is never despair. Because that's what we have the tendency to do. We have the tendency for something to happen in our life. We try to solve it ourselves. We can't figure it out. And so we just begin to say, woe is me. How am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to figure it out? And then maybe later on during the day, we say, well, maybe I should spend some time praying about it. No, the very first thing we need to do is go to the Lord in prayer. Do you take advantage of the immense source of help that God has given to you as a believer through prayer. It's laying right there. The resource is always there within your grasp. But the question is, do we take advantage of it? Do we take hold of what God has given us to alleviate ourselves? Because this is the wonderful thing about prayer. The wonderful thing about prayer is it has this uncanny ability to lift the burdens of life off of us and to put them onto the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He can carry them for us when we can't. So there's a necessity of prayer. Jesus says, I've got to go over here and pray. And He leaves His disciples there and Jesus begins to go pray. I want you to notice secondly though, the companionship of prayer. Because Jesus, as He sits the disciples down, remembers the eleven of them now, Judas has gone off to betray Him, so He has the remainder of the disciples with Him. And in verse 37 It says that he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John. Now, there's a disagreement, not disagreement, but there's lots of different opinions on why he took these three men with him. Um, It could be because they were the three who were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, It could be because of their leadership ability. Jesus was preparing them. He's instructing them as he's going to instruct us through the text this morning. He was instructing them in the moment on on the power of prayer and, and and the principles of prayer. And so they would then be able to take that on and to share it with others. But throughout the scriptures, we see that these were the three disciples that Jesus was the closest with. Peter, James, and John. He had this relationship with them that was even more intimate than it was with the other disciples. And so, as he pulls them away, he takes them a little further into the garden with him as he goes to pray. 
And in verse 38, Jesus says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. We see here the heart of Jesus. He's telling his best friends in this moment, he says, I'm I'm burdened down. I'm overwhelmed in, in grief and sorrow. And he said, and I brought you here because I want you to pray with me. I brought you here because I want you to to help me carry this along. I want you to be in in prayer, tandemed with me together as I go to the Lord in prayer. Now we have the question has to be asked, what what is Jesus fearful of in this moment? What's, What's he afraid of? Well, Jesus is alluding back to Psalm 43. He says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know, it's not often that the gospel writers describe to us the emotions of Jesus in such a vivid way. But here the language is so strong and to the point as of the sorrow and the grief and the burden that Jesus felt. Now, it might be easy to think that Jesus was looking towards the cross and he was afraid of the death and the physical suffering that he was going to experience on the cross. Crucifixion was, was the most painful type of death that anybody knew in the world at that time. To be taken up and beaten beyond recognition and then to go to the cross and have your limbs stretched out and nails put through your wrists and then struck up in the air and the entire weight of your body pulling down on those wounds, hanging there naked in the blistering hot sun, exposed to everyone in in, in in a very humiliating way, just bleeding there, dying, gasping for breath. It was the most horrendous manner of death that could be dreamed up. But Jesus wasn't afraid of the death and the physical suffering. Because the martyrs after Jesus would face those things. And they would face those things with with boldness and courage. Many martyrs have gone to the flames and stood there the entire time rejoicing, singing songs and hymns and glorifying God as the flames licked up their bodies and they died proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. No, Jesus wasn't afraid of the physical death and suffering. As Jesus looked towards the cross... He understood exactly what was going to happen there. That not only was he going to be suffering physically, but on him would be placed the sin of all of his people. And that sin, the the grotesqueness of of that sin, would, would cause it to be so heavily weighed upon him that in that moment, God the Father would not be able to look upon his Son. This relationship that God the Father and God the Son had had for so long, this relationship that we perhaps could never even come to fully grasp and understand how deep and intimate it was in that moment. That's why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For in that moment, God the Father turned away from Jesus and no longer could look upon Him because of your sin and my sin that Jesus took upon Himself. And in that moment, Jesus knew the terror of what that would be like, to be rejected by God in that moment. But Jesus also knew that even in that, He had to bear not only the sin being put upon Him, not only the the, the isolation from God the Father, but then that He must, on our behalf, face the anger and the wrath of God for sin. 
And not just the sin of one, but the sin of all those who would put their faith and trust in Him. Now, brothers and sisters, there is no human words to understand what Jesus was going to face on the cross that day as He bore the wrath of God for sin. I think it would be a struggle to come up with words to talk about what it would be like in our own lives to understand what if somebody who dies outside of Christ and they have to face the wrath of God for their sins. It's the, the Bible even struggles to, to describe that in a way that we can comprehend. But yet Jesus bore the wrath of God for the sins of all those who would come to Him. And in that moment, Jesus was so burdened, so overwhelmed. And so He, he looks to His friends and He says, Brothers, I need you in this moment. I need you to pray with me. I need you to watch with me. Stay awake, watch with me, pray along with me because I am overwhelmed. But what we understand in this moment is that his friends disappointed him. So Jesus was looking here for a companionship in prayer. There is moments that we need other people to pray along with us. There's moments that we need those to surround us. And that's the reason why even here at our church, we have a prayer team and we have a prayer line because we understand the beautiful nature of prayer is that we can call upon others to pray along with us, to pray for us, to lift us up and support us in those moments, in those times of need. So Jesus instructed his disciples, wait here, pray for me, pray along with me. But then we see a little something else interesting about prayer. Because not only is there a companionship, but there's actually, there's an isolation that comes in prayer. Because Jesus left his disciples there in verse 38, and he said, I want you to stay here and pray for me. But I've got to go and do something on my own that you cannot do for me. Verse 39, it says, And he went yet a little farther beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. As much as Jesus wanted the support of his friends, as much as he enjoyed their company, and as much as he had even asked them to pray in that moment. Jesus knew the task that lay before him he had to do alone. In Isaiah chapter 63, it speaks of this moment and he says, I have trodden the wine trough alone. And from the peoples, there was no man with me. Jesus walks on into the garden, into a little more isolated place, and does something that we see him only do in this one place in the Scriptures, Jesus lays down on His face before the Lord and He begins to pray. The weight of Jesus' sorrow, the weight of Jesus' burden is unlike anything that we will ever have to face. And Jesus cries out to God and He says, My Father. Now note there, who Jesus prays to. He prays to God the Father. He does not pray to Mary. He does not pray to any other figure. He prays to God the Father. And that's important. Because brothers and sisters, you can pray the most sincere prayers in the world. But if you're not praying them to God the Father, 
if you're not directing them to the God who created the entire universe, if you're not directing them to the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, then you're praying in vain. And so Jesus goes and he says, My Father. One of the gospel writers uses the word Abba here. It's, it's the, the, the word that just means daddy in a sense. It's, it's Jesus crying out in, in just his humility and in his humanity. And in this, you, you can really begin to understand the, the, the true emotion that Jesus is, is exposing himself to here. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. Now, what Jesus is praying for, Jesus knew that he could walk away. Jesus had the power. Jesus didn't, he, he, he could just decide, you know what, I'm not going to do this. So Jesus here is not praying, uh, you know, to, to ask the Lord if, 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 he, if he could. What he's asking the, the Lord here in this moment, he says, Father, is there any other way besides the cross for me to redeem mankind? Is there any other possibility here? Jesus is, is, is God in the flesh. He, if in a moment, He could call down the angels from heaven. He could do whatever He wanted to and escape away. But He was submitting Himself to the will of the Father. But He said, Father, before we get to this moment, in His humanity, Jesus comes to God and He says, is there any other path? Is there any other thing that could happen? Any other mode of things that we could do to let this cup pass from me? Now, you see that word cup there. That cup depicts God's wrath. And when we see that presented in the Scripture, it's presented in such a way as, as, as the cup of God's wrath, as this type of judgment that falls upon those who have rejected Christ. It falls upon those who are caught into sin. And Jesus knew this is exactly what He was going to have to do. That as He went to the cross and He took upon the sin of all those who had come to Him upon Himself, that the cup of God's wrath was going to be handed to Him and He was going to have to drink, not just a sip, but drink every single drop from the cup of God's wrath. It's described in such ways as in Psalm 75, for a cup is in the hand of the Lord and the wine foams, it is well mixed and He pours it out. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. Isaiah 51, thus says the Lord, even your God who contends for his people, behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice of my anger. Ezekiel chapter 23, you have walked in the way of your sister, therefore I will give her cup unto your hand, says the Lord. You will drink your sister's cup, which is deep and wide. You will be laughed at and held in derision. It contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of horror and desolation. The cup of your sister Samaria, you will drink and drain it, and you will gnaw its fragments and tear your breast, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Jesus knew when he went to the cross, this was the only path. But in his humanity, he finally said, is there any other way? But notice what he says at the end of that prayer. But Father, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was submitting Himself totally and fully to the Father's will. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that when Jesus goes to the cross, He's drinking the cup of God's wrath. Jesus saves us from God Himself. Oftentimes I think people think that Jesus dying on the cross saved us from Satan. 
Now, Jesus defeated the power of death, hell, and the grave. He defeated the power of Satan. But what Jesus saved us from by going to the cross is He saved us from God the Father pouring out His wrath upon us. Because if we die without Christ, we're not going to face Satan in the end. I mean, in the, in the ultimate end of judgment, we're going to face God. And He's going to pour out His anger and wrath upon all those who reject Him. So Jesus is going to the cross. And as Jesus goes to the cross, He's not being defeated by Satan. Satan is not the one defeating Jesus on the cross. Jesus is submitting Himself to the will of God the Father. God is pouring out His wrath upon Jesus. And Jesus conquers Satan, death, hell, and the grave as He goes to the cross. So Jesus asks if there is a, any other way. But Jesus also confesses to God that He will submit totally and fully to His will. Brothers and sisters, can we say the same thing about ourselves. The task of what Jesus had to do was a horror too great to imagine. It was a horror so great that the Scripture tells us that as Jesus prayed in the garden, that He sweat great drops of blood. That the the blood vessels, the, the capillary blood vessels closer to the surface of skin began to burst. And so as He was praying, He was praying in such desperation and such grief and such sorrow that drops of blood actually began to come out of His skin like sweat does. But Jesus, even in the crux of this moment, said, Father, not what I will, but what you will. Knowing what he had to face. Brothers and sisters, we're we're limited sometimes in what we pray because we don't know the future. Jesus knew fully what was coming. And he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Do we do the same in our own prayer life? Can we say the same thing in the difficult seasons of life? When you lose your job, when you're diagnosed with cancer, when a family member passes away, when something tragic happens, can you go to God in prayer and say, God, I don't understand this. Father, I wish there was some other way, but Father, not what I will, but your will be done. We need to understand that there is absolutely nothing in our life that comes to pass without the supreme permission and allowance of God. God is never taken by surprise when good things happen to us, and He's never taken by surprise when bad things happen to us. If we wake up tomorrow and we have become a millionaire... God is not surprised by that. If we wake up tomorrow and everything we have is gone, God is not surprised by that. And not only is He not surprised, but He allowed it to happen according to His sovereign will and purpose and way. You look back at Job. And Job had done nothing but strive to love the Lord and strive to please God. And Satan says, oh, I think I can get Job to trip up. And God says, no, But let's see. And so Job's family is taken away. His possessions are taken away. His health is taken away. And every time we see Satan, he says, well, I'm going to do this. And God says, you can go here and no further. You can take this, but not that. And brothers and sisters, what an encouragement that is. 
to know that when bad things happen in our life, that God is the one who controls that. It's not Satan. What a horrible world to live in. What a horrible mindset to have that we think that when bad things happen to us, that it's Satan doing that like in a way that he has no control over him. Operating in a way that, that he is ruling and reigning. But brothers and sisters, Jesus tells us, God tells us, that when anything happens to us, it's only by his sovereign permission, plan, and purpose. Now, we may not understand it. We don't understand it when somebody who's very young passes away. We don't understand it when somebody dies tragically or is diagnosed with some horrendous disease. We don't understand it when we lose things in our life. We don't, sometimes we can't wrap our minds around it. But we pray that God would help us to submit to His will. When we pray according to God's will, what we're acknowledging is that we're giving up our attempts to control what's going on and learning to embrace even the most difficult things in our life as God's plan for us, just as Jesus did when He headed to the cross. When we pray according to God's will, it's a submission to the Scripture because it's there that God reveals His will to us. So we talked here about the isolation of prayer. I want you to next notice with me the weakness of prayer. And when I say the weakness of prayer, I don't mean that prayer itself is weak. But what I mean is that there is a way that we can pray in such a way as to steal the power of prayer. Look at verse 40 and 41. He came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. There's something ironic in this passage. I would encourage you to flip back with me to verse 31 of chapter 26. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I shall strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Now back to verse 40. Jesus here had not asked the disciples to do anything that required much bravery here. All He had asked them to do was to sit and to watch and to pray with Him as He went ahead and interceded with God by Himself. Jesus comes back approximately an hour later because He says, well, watch me with one hour. And what does He find the disciples doing? He finds them sleeping. And so Jesus says, Peter, you, you couldn't even pray with me for an hour? Just a, just a moment ago, you said you were going to die for me. You'd be willing to do whatever it took to ensure that, that you would not deny me, but yet you can't even pray with me for an hour. There's a weakness in prayer. And Jesus exposes what that weakness is because notice what he says in verse 41. He says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Jesus gave them here what they needed to know. He says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We may have the best of intentions, but we must learn to discipline our bodies. We must learn to discipline our spirit. If we're a soldier, we must not sleep when we're on duty. This is exemplified in Romans 7. Paul talks about this. He talks about the struggle of the man who is in Christ, but yet lives in a sinful world. And he talks about, he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. He says, oh, oh, the wretched man that I am. How do I understand this struggle? But Jesus gives them a clue here because he says the spirit is willing as the flesh is weak. He's like, you, you say you want to do these things for me. He said, but the flesh is weak. It's going to always steer towards the other side. And the temptation that the disciples had in this moment was a temptation of self-confidence, right? Because they've already proclaimed to Jesus, oh, Jesus, we're going to stand with you to the end. You know, we've been with you for three years now. You know, we're, we're your closest, most intimate group of friends. In this moment, it's almost as if they said, there's really Jesus, there's no need for us to pray. We're, we're, we're where we need to be with God. We're where we need to be in this moment and this, this situation. But Jesus gives them this answer. He says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. In this moment, had the disciples heeded Jesus' words, the outcome of the rest of this section of this chapter would, I think, be completely different. Had they heeded Jesus' words and kept on watching and kept on praying, because what Jesus instructed them in this moment, he says, listen guys, go to God the Father, ask Him for help, and He's going to help you to know how to pray. He's going to help you to stay awake. He's going to help you to intercede alongside of me in this moment. But they were unwilling. They heard Jesus, but they didn't obey Him. I want you to notice the submission of prayer. Look at verse 42 and 43. Jesus, no doubt discouraged by what He had just witnessed, that his friends, instead of praying for him, instead of interceding with him, have fallen asleep. But he walks back away for a second time and prays and says, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Now notice the wording that's changed there. First time Jesus says, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This time he says, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. There are moments in our life where we need to pray repeatedly. I can remember growing up, and I don't remember where I heard it, but I remember growing up with this thought in my mind that we should never pray repeatedly to God. That if you pray about something one time, you just pray about it one time, and then you should never pray about it again. Because if you pray about it again, you're doubting the, the power of God. You're doubting God's ability to hear your prayers but what we find is that that's not the example we see in Scripture at all. We find Jesus here praying three times about this issue before God. We also find the Apostle Paul. Remember in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about the thorn in the flesh. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. 
And he has said, My grace is sufficient for you. The power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We see Jesus here doing the same thing that the Apostle Paul would do later. Jesus is saying, Father, I don't understand it, but I'm praying to you about it. And if this cannot change, then I will submit my will to yours and you do what you desire to do. The Apostle Paul later on would say, Jesus, this thorn in the flesh that you've given to me is tormenting my life. There's so many disagreements on what they think the thorn in the flesh was that Paul was talking about here. But it really doesn't matter, suffice to say, that it was something that bothered him so much that he continually went to the Lord praying about it. And three times after he prayed about it, the Lord said, nope, not taking it away. I've given it to you for a purpose. It humbles you, Paul. And when it humbles you, you have to depend on me. And so Paul says, okay, then I'll be okay with that. He submits his will to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have to be willing to do the same things. There are going to be things that happen in our life that we don't understand, and we pray for God to take it away, and He is not going to take it away because He will use it for our good and for His glory. When we pray repeatedly, when we pray at all, we need to understand that prayer does not change the mind of God. We're not praying to change God's mind about a situation. God has already determined what He is going to do. But what prayer does is it aligns our will with God's will. It puts us in the place to understand and accept what He is doing in His timing and in His purposes. Prayer lines our will up with the will of God so that no matter what the answer is, we will be satisfied in Him. Jesus now understands that this cup cannot pass away from him. And so he's demonstrating his trust in the Father. Now notice what happens again. Verse 43, it says, He again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Such a discouragement to see that these men, these apostles, had been given everything that they needed in this moment to really prove themselves to Jesus and to come alongside of him, but they missed the mark. The final thing I want you to see in this text as we close this morning is the victory of prayer. Look at verse 45 and 46. Starting with excuse me, verse 44. It says, again, he left them and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. In this moment, Jesus went back and prayed again. He says says the same thing once more, as he had said before. My father, if this cup cannot pass away, your will be done. And I'm inclined to believe that that third prayer as Jesus went back, what he was doing was he was, again, further putting his trust in the will of God. But it was this prayer in this moment where he was then allowing God's presence to give him the strength that he needed to follow through with what God had called him to do. Jesus prayed because he expected an answer. And Jesus not only found that answer, but he found the strength to stand in that moment because we find Jesus coming from this moment of being laying down on the ground, sweating great drops of blood, 
just tormented in his spirit, to now coming back to the disciples, and, and just as victorious as a way that we can say to say, get up, guys. The time for sleeping is over. I've got to go do what God has called me to do. Nevermore do we see any hesitation in Jesus. Nevermore do we see any uncertainty in what God has called him to do. Nevermore do we see him questioning the will of God in this situation. Nevermore do we see him any, have any kind of doubts. Jesus marches forward on into Jerusalem from this moment, fully confident and trusting in the perfect and revealed will of God. Because you see, brothers and sisters, praying gives us the strength that we need. We cannot handle the things that come in this life on our own. It was interesting, I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday. And we were talking about, uh, this person has a family member, a, a son, who is, is not a believer. And as they were sharing that with me, they were saying, you know, I don't understand how, how people can go through this life and not have the source of hope and strength that's found in God? How, how do they endure the things that they experience? And the answer is that they can't. Now, you would have someone argue and say, oh, I don't believe in God, and I don't have any problems, but brothers and sisters, all we have to do is look around and see the addictions that people have, whether that be to drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality or entertainment, or whatever it may be. Everybody, they're coping in some way because they can't handle the problems of this life on their own. They can't overcome the difficulties of this life in their own strength. The only way that we can do that is through the very power and presence of God that's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but that strength is given to us through the power of prayer. So Jesus very boldly stood up in this moment. He walks back. He wakes the disciples up. And he says, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Jesus, in this moment, found strength for endurance for the greatest task that any person has ever faced in this life. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged that no matter what you're facing this morning, no matter what you may face next week, there is strength to be found in Christ through prayer. There is reliance to be found in God by going to Him and pouring out your heart before Him and asking Him to line your will up with His. Be encouraged this morning that nothing that has happened to you in the past, nothing that will happen to you in the future did not happen outside of the knowledge of God. That we can trust and know Him in His grace and in His fullness. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank you for your word. And we pray, God, that you would guide and direct our hearts, that we may be people more committed to prayer. Lord, that we may be people who believe what your word says about prayer. Father, may we follow the example of Jesus. Lord, in this complete submission to your will, that Father, even though we may not understand sometimes, even though we may have questions, even though, Father, we may have doubts that we can come to you and pray and that, Father, you will help us to overcome those doubts, to overcome those questions, to overcome those fears. 
and to trust your perfect will and plan. Father, may you be glorified through our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.